0: Okay, good morning, gentlemen. So, we yesterday we discussed how on Rosh Chodesh Elul, the first day of the month of Elul, Moshe ascends Mount Sinai for the third set of forty days, and this time is on the mountain for forty days. Hashem teaches him the thirteen attributes of of Rachamim of mercy, and when Moshe sees that he falls on his face and bows before Hashem, and here Hashem has taught him the secret how to invoke God's compassion, not only through the merit of the forefathers or through other reasons, but how to arouse the inherent compassion of Hashem that exists no matter what, even if we're terrible sinners, Hashem will, if He chooses, will find in Himself the ability to show compassion to those that don't deserve, those that sinned. Now, after Hashem's presence passed from before Moshe, by Ya'var Hashem upon him, God passed before him on the mountain. So then Moshe says to God, it's... Thank you. You know, it's beautiful what you're showing me. However, I'm going to ask you again, now that I'm on the mountain, and now that we're, it's on the month of Elul, well, that which I asked you yesterday off the mountain, I'm going to repeat my request, and I want you to promise. So Moshe says to God, I have found favor in your eyes, I asked that God should himself go amongst us, not the angel, we discussed this, but now Moshe is asking again, after God told him the 13th of his mercy, I know that they are a stiff-necked nation, but v'salachta, you God, should forgive for our sins, for our rebellious sin, for our unintentional sins, because you, we have become your inheritance; we are your unique possession. Uh, Hashem hears that. Hashem says, "I agree." He I am establishing a covenant, not just a promise, but here on the mountain, on the third set of forty days, Hashem is korez bris. Hashem is making a covenant between us and the entire nation, that God will do niflaos, He'll do wonders He never did before in the entire history of the universe, not for any other nation. And all of the people of the world will see how awesome is the deed of Hashem, which I will perform for you. So here we see how Hashem is showing, He's answering the questions, the, the requests of Moshe, I'll be amongst the people, I'll make them wondrous. I will give you the power to always earn forgiveness for them, even when they don't deserve, etc. And then, Hashem says to Moshe, However, guard yourself very, very, very carefully. Because you're going to come into the land of Israel, and there will be the other nations of the world. The other nations, seven nations living there. And you should make sure to drive them out of the land. Don't assimilate and integrate with them. Because if you're going to come into the land, and you're going to make a peace treaty and a covenant with the inhabitants of the land that are living there, they will be the Mokesh B'kir Becha. A Mokesh is translated by Rashi as a, as a, as a trap, as a, a stumbling block, or as a trap, different opinions, that will trap you, and will cause you to fall down, and to become, once again, to start worshipping idols. Rather, the Torah says, I know this is not politically correct, but here you have black and white, how the Torah wants us to deal with the people that live in the land of Israel. When the Jews come in, black and white, you should destroy, you, you shall uh, shatter their altars. Demolish their pillars. Cut down their their trees of the use as idols. Um, and be careful not to bow down before their God or the God of the nations. Because Hashem is a zealous God. And if you will make a covenant with inhabitants of the land, you know what will happen. You think I'm just making a peace treaty. I'm not going to worship their God. I'm just making peace. We'll live in harmony with our neighbors. We'll all get along. It's in Kumbaya. And nothing will happen. You should know. That if you'll do that, eventually you're going to stray after their gods. And you're going to sacrifice to their gods. And then they're going to invite you to eat you from the food of their gods. And you're going to come for their holidays. And you're going to join together. And you what will happen after that? Eventually you will take wives from among his daughters for your sons. You're going to become intermarriage. And their daughters will marry your sons. And you will happen? His daughters will stray after their god and lead your sons after their gods. Which from here is a source... In the Torah, that the child goes after the mother. Because here the Torah is only saying one side. It's not saying that their sons will marry your daughters. Because if a non-Jewish man will marry a Jewish girl, that will not lead the grandchildren astray to a different God because the children, the grandchildren will remain Jewish. Mm-hmm. But here the Torah is saying only one way. Your sons will take their daughters. Have a great day. Your sons will take their daughters. And if that happens, what will happen to the sons that will be born from that will be led astray after their gods, they'll be lost from the Jewish people, they will no longer be considered Jewish anymore. And then God continues to warn us, you should not make for yourselves any molten idols. I mean, it's a pretty important commandment that Hashem is giving. Of course, He already said the Ten Commandments, but uh, we made one, we made a golden calf, right? So Hashem is telling Moshe again, in this new covenant, in this new bris, that Hashem is making with Moshe on Har Sinai, during this final set of 40 days, But Hashem has agreed to not only forgive the Jews, but to dwell amongst us and to exalt us and to to always show His compassion towards us and always be there for us. Hashem is warning us, don't assimilate with the nations, don't intermarry with them, don't make idols like they have. Rather, you shall have your own holidays, your own unique culture, your own unique Jewish celebrations, and that's the only holidays you should celebrate. And the Torah continues to say, you should observe the holiday of Pesach. Here it's called the Chag HaMatzot, the holiday of the Matzos. For seven days you should eat the matzah that commanded you at the appointed time in Nisan, at the beginning of the ripening of the grain, which that is the time when you left Egypt. Now, by the way, what did Aaron say to the Jews when they made the golden calf? Tomorrow will be a holiday for God. They made up a new holiday. So Moshe is saying, God is saying to Moshe, don't make up any new holiday. You have the holidays I gave you. Don't start following the, the, the culture of the nations in which you live. And making their holidays your holidays, the holidays you have is Pesach, and the other, we're going to talk about the other holidays. And in addition to the uh, holiday of Pesach, you should have for me every firstborn son. The petayachemli, the language used over here in the Torah is called petayachemli. Every opening of the womb is to me, meaning a child, that's a firstborn child, is not born by opening the womb. But born through a C-section, I think we talked about this once, is not considered a petar, not considered opening of the womb, and they do not need to be redeemed from the Kohen, from the priest. However, any child, any male child that is born in a natural way, where they open up the womb, they belong to Hashem. And therefore, we need to redeem them. Not just the firstborn child of a person, but so too all your livestock that comes from you. He's talking about kosher animals. The male that opens the womb of a cow, or of a sheep, or of a goat, is mine. Now, generally speaking, and how either you give that to the Kohen, or you, normally you give it to the Kohen. The firstborn child, you don't give to the Kohen, you redeem him for five silver coins. But the firstborn sheep, cow or goat, you give to the priest as a redemption, since the firstborns were supposed to worship Hashem in the base of Mikdash, but we lost it because we sinned with the golden calf. And now that I'm making a new peace treaty, and the Levite to the priest will serve in the temple, you need to give the firstborn, needs to be redeemed from them. Now, normally a non kosher animal does not become holy. You don't find anywhere that normally a non kosher animal will have a holy status. The only exception is right here in the very next verse, where the Torah tells us it's a decree of the Torah that doesn't have, it's Hashem's decree. that Hashem says, even though normally non-kosher animals are not holy, of the firstborn donkey, you must redeem it with a lamb. So it's a unique status. It doesn't become holy. The firstborn sheep, goat, or cow becomes holy, and you need to give it to the kowei. It's a holy animal, you don't redeem it. The firstborn donkey does not get the same kedusha, the same holiness that a firstborn sheep has. However, it has some level of status that you cannot keep it, you have to redeem it. How do you redeem it? You keep the donkey, because you don't give the donkey to the Kohen because it's not holy. And instead, you give the the Kohen a lamb in the place of the donkey. So now the donkey becomes redeemed, so now you can keep the donkey like any other regular animal that you own. And the sheep, or whatever, that becomes holy to the Kohen. Says the Torah, if you do not redeem the donkey, let's say you you don't want to give uh, the sheep instead of the donkey, so then you have to kill that donkey. You have to let it go out. You have to break the back of the neck, in a, which is not the way we normally slaughter an animal. But since you are cruel by causing monetary loss to the priest who is serving you in the temple, and you would, didn't want to give him too stingy to give him your sheep in the place of your firstborn donkey, therefore you also lose the donkey, you don't get it, Okay? And then the Torah repeats again that you should redeem every firstborn among your sons, so here, by repeating it again, we know that the firstborn child is not like the firstborn sheep, cow or donkey that you give to the priest, but rather it's like the firstborn donkey that is not actually given to the priest, but it is redeemed instead. And the rabbis decreed, I'm not sure of the source, that the amount to uh, redeem a person is five silver coins. Have you ever seen that ceremony? It's called the Pidyon HaBen, when a child turn, turns 30 days old. I once had a Pidyon HaBen many years ago and they put the child on a silver platter, and they cover the child with jewelry and necklaces and whatever, and they come to the Kohen. There's a whole uh, text of prayer. That, it's not really a prayer. It's, a, it's in the prayer book, but it's not a prayer. It's, a, it's, a, it's an agreement. And they come to the Kohen, and you say, this is the firstborn child. I want to redeem it. Here's the five silver coins, etc. It's called the Pidon HaBen. Um, okay. Next verse in the Torah, telling us in addition that when you come to the Kohen, the priest on the holidays, you should come not empty-handed. You should bring the carbon chagig, the holiday offerings, and you should bring the bikurim. We're going to learn in a second about the first for, the first fruits of the land of Israel, the seven species by which the land of Israel is praised. And then the Torah tells us something interesting: Sheishes yamem tavod. Six days you shall work, and the seventh day you shall rest. Becharish uva kotsir which is translated to mean that you must refrain from plowing and reaping. And what does that mean? Now, we already know that you should work six days and not work on Shabbos, and not not to plow on Shabbos, right? We know that already. So what's this telling us? So Rashi gives two ways of understanding this verse. One way of understanding is that it's talking about the year of Shemitah. The year of Shemitah. Not the six days of the week. The the end of the verse, so that you should uh, plow, you should rest and plow. from, From harvesting, it's talking about that the end of the... Normally, in the Torah whether you're not allowed to plow and not allowed to harvest to reap just during the actual seventh year, which begins on Rosh Hashanah and goes to the next Rosh Hashanah. But the rabbis added to that that at the end of the sixth year, you shouldn't plow as a uh, preparation for the Shemitah year, because if you plow, you'll make it easier for things to grow on their own during the Shemitah year. But it's part of work, basically. Yes, yeah, so even though you're allowed to do it during the end of this, it's the summer, it's 30 days before, it's after Shavuos. After Shavuos, after you harvested on the sixth year, so you might think, well, it's still still the sixth year. Let me go plow the field, even though I'm not going to actually plant, because you don't plant in the summer, you plant in the... But I'll I'll plow it. I'll prepare the field. So you should know you shouldn't plow in the end of the sixth year. Just like you wouldn't do it in the Shabbos. Just like you wouldn't do in Shabbos. And you shouldn't harvest or or, or reap at the very beginning of the eighth year, because what you're reaping is what grew in the Shemitah year. That's one way of understanding this verse. Another way is to tell you that the, just like plowing is only permitted for, it's, it's your own reshosh, meaning that you can do it whenever you want, but you can't do it on Shabbos. So too, harvesting things, not like only on Shabbos, when it's for your own personal benefit. But when you're harvesting for the Omer offering, the Omer offering was that on the second day of Pesach, they will go and they would harvest the Omer, right? They bring the carbon Omer, and that's when we have the new grain from the old grain, etc., that is done even on Shabbos. Normally, not allowed to go to the field and harvest on Shabbos. But for the harvest of the Omer offering, that you're allowed to do on Shabbos. we we done that from this verse. If you understood, good. If not, uh, whatever, come later. Dan talks about the holiday of Shavuos. And then three times a year, he also mentions already, Sukkot while he's at it. Three times a year, you should appear before Hashem. Don't be worried about leaving the land empty. All of the men from all over the land of Israel travel to Jerusalem during the holiday. The land is vulnerable. Someone can come and attack the cities where there's no men there and just a woman and kids, etc. And they'll be able to easily conquer a good part of the land of Israel. Don't worry, says Hashem. I will make your borders wider. I will protect them. And I will expel the nations that are there. So when you go up to, the land of it, to, to the city of Rishulayim, no one will become jealous or desire the land that you have. And he says, when you come to the you'll not slaughter the, uh, the blood of Ch- the, the Krab and Pesach with the bread of chametz you should bring the as I mentioned, and you should not cook a young animal in the the milk of its mother, because it's also an act of cruelty, cruelty, which is one of the three times, I don't have time for right now, but there's three times in the Torah where the Torah says not to cook a goat or a kid in its mother's milk, which from there will learn many of the laws of kosher, mixing meat and milk, and cooking meat and milk, etc., but we'll leave that for another time. Let's finish the Parsha. Anyway, the end of the 40 days. 40 days end... Moshe Rabbeinu comes down the mountain with the second set of tablets. Now, first of all, you should know this by now. What day does Moshe come down the mountain with the second set of tablets? Yom Kippur. Kippur. Very good. Yom Kippur is the end of the forty days. Moshe comes down with the second set of tablets, and during this third set of forty days, the Torah tells us that Moshe did not eat nor drink water. The first time he didn't eat or drink was because it was so he was overwhelmed by the divine revelation. Second time he didn't eat or drink for forty days was because he was so afraid. So he was praying to Hashem for mercy. And the third time, he had truly become like an angel and his body did not need to eat anymore. Here, he reached a higher level in divine closeness than he had had in the first time. And he came down with the second tablet that had been given very quietly. From here we learn that the first tablets were given with a big hoo-ha, right? A big commotion, a big celebration. The whole world heard when God blew the shofar, the whole world was silent. Things that are done publicly sometimes don't last. Some that is done in private, quietly, shash, still, you know, that had, had eternity to it. The second tablets are still whole until today. So Moshe comes down the mountain, and Moshe was not aware that the skin of his face had become radiant when God spoke to him. Meaning, there were beams of light shining from his face. In the Hebrew it says, literally, that beams of light were shining from on his face. Now it happens to, And so we're going to read to what happened. And the Jewish people couldn't look at Moshe. They became afraid. They saw the skin of his face was radiant. They literally couldn't look at him. They became afraid. And therefore, Moshe put a mask on top of his face. The first person to walk around with a mask on. Not because of Corona, but because of the Koran the, the face of Hashem's, uh, the light of Hashem shining from him, that people couldn't look at him. So he put a mask on and he spoke to the Jewish people. And when he talked to Hashem, he took the mask off. By the way, the famous myth, the Jewish people have horns. Where does that come from? This verse. Well, it comes originally from this verse. Ki karan erpano. The word karan, beams of light, it's also Karen. Karen's a horse. A horse. A horns. Torns. So when Michelangelo drew a picture of, the, of, of, of Moshe, he misinterpreted this verse based on a wrong translation, that there's uh, horns coming out of his head. And hence the horns yeah, became a very accepted myth that Jews have horns. Um, and it, the point is... That whenever Moshe would speak to Jewish people, he would put on his mask when he finished speaking, and when he would go speak to Hashem, he would take it off. And so when he would go into his tent where he would speak to Hashem, he would remove the veil, and there he would talk to Hashem. And after he would go out, he would cover himself to teach Aaron and the elders, and then they would go and teach to the Jews what God had Moshe told them the whole system first Aaron, and Aaron and his sons, and Aaron and the sons and the elders, etc. He would teach all the Jewish people. And then, uh, again, Moshe replaced. The Torah again, Moshe would replace, the Torah but again, Moshe would cover the veil on his face until he would speak with Hashem in private. Okay.